when the Gulf oil spill happened um, through – what's another current event that they basically used? Through that – I guess basically that transition where that you started bringing in teenagers with, with opinions and treating them as if they were experts. Um, and I think the Mitt Romney campaign when he was going against Obama, I guess. Um, but yeah. I don't know if you ever liked West Wing or if you ever liked anything from Aaron Sorkin because his dialogue, I don't, his dialogue style, I don't think is, um, it doesn't appeal to a lot of people, but I love it. Um, and I love like how he writes characters. Um, Newsroom's a great piece of, I guess, media commentary on news media. Yeah, I don't think I've, it's transitioned I don't think to. I've seen any of Andy Sorkin's stuff, so I might have to check that out. Aaron Sorkin. My name, last name Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. Uh, what else has he written? Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. What has he done? He's, he looks like a goddamn goofball. Um, a Few Good Men. What else has he done? Sports Night. The West Wing. Um, newsroom. Oh, wow. Doesn't look like he's got... Was it Charlie Wilson's Enemy of the State? The Social Network. Okay. Steve Jobs from 2017. Um, plays, cameo acting appearances, Academy Awards. Oh, he did Moneyball. He did Moneyball. Oh, I have seen Moneyball. I like Moneyball. wonder what he did. Accolades. Best adapted screenplay was Moneyball and Molly's Game and Social Network. Um... Okay. So he doesn't have a lot, but he has a few things. Yeah, he got a lot of nominations for West Wing. Yeah, I've heard a lot about West Wing. I've heard it's yeah. very popular. Yeah, no. I'm, I, not, I'm not, just not super into like political thrillers set in the real world. I'm not sure if that one's really a thriller of a TV series. Isn't it? Isn't it about a guy like who's president? Yeah, it's and about like the president the and like the daily life of the president or whatnot. I I I didn't get even get through season one. Um, I just didn't. Sometimes things just fall like that. Sure. <laughs> um, you know. Um, let me see here. The newsroom is playing on what right now? Where can I watch? Where is this? Max HBO Max free trial. Oh boy, it's locked into HBO right now. Fuck that. Okay, go go. Go acquire, uh, like the first season of that, and <laughs> let me know what yeah. you think. If it, if it, if it, acquire. yeah, <laughs> emphasis, yeah. yeah. Oh goodness. Oh, we're in a pickle in this country. We're in such a fucking pickle. <laughs> yep. It's so bad. It's I, the way I look at it. The things will get better. Yeah. Because they, it's you know, they they just have to. <laughs> We're at a point. It's not. It's not much lower we can go without everyone dying. So. Yeah. No. I I I know how much lower it can get. It, it's when people start getting called kulaks, basically. That's that's just about where we're heading. Everyone yeah. start calling kulaks, and it's like, oh well. Oh boy, time to leave. Time to go find an yeah. island or something. Jesus Christ, it's gonna get bad. Yeah, I don't know. I I think it's gonna be fine. A lot of it is like uh, just you gotta put put your faith in the younger generation. People of our generation and below are seemingly much more 
intelligent than the generations yeah. that came before them. As a that's a like fucked way to say it, but I can't f figure out a better like. But it, we seem more plugged into what's actually going on well, as opposed to the older generations. Okay, so we seem to be mostly operating off of older, like framework. So I wish you reminded me of um, you reminded me of Gamergate. I wish I actually had a better play by play on on that actual Gamergate. I, I can t I can fuck I can give you the give you the play by play on that entirely. On my Go own. for it. I would I'd love to hear like your perspective on it. Jesus, you want like the whole thing? Because I was I was there for like the entirety of the run it saga. down, run it down. So Gamergate. One, first of all, before I even get into this, I have to say fuck the whole thing. Fuck it for having happened. It ruined my favorite website. <laughs> um, so Gamergate, what happened was, and again, I, I'm saying this, I was on the ground floor. I was in those threads. I was making those shit posts. I was with them. Uh -huh. So it started. Um, everyone knows the five guys thing with that one lady and that guy she was dating and she was a game developer or whatever. Okay. I, I don't care. I never, I never gave a shit about the people that were involved. Most people didn't give a shit about the people who were involved. It was a group of dedicated alt-right motherfuckers who hijacked the narrative and turned it into a let's harass this, these people rather mm -hmm. than let's get this fixed in games journalism because that's what it started as. Primarily it was a, hey, here is a thing that happened where somebody seemingly had sex with a couple of uh you know journalists quote unquote um and as such got really good reviews on their games and that's really fucked up and it's endemic of a lot of the fucked up shit we see in the games industry even to this day the nepotism yeah. in games journalism is fucking disgusting and i hate it which is why i'm so pissed off about gamergate because that's how it started or we were writing letters to these companies saying hey you know uh, or not to like the companies that were doing the news or to like their um, supporters they're like advertisers saying hey this company we know for a fact they do really fucked up shit journalistic wise we're not okay with that and we're not going to support your products if you continue to advertise on their website and that's how Gawker Media ended up getting shut down which is a great thing fuck Gawker Media <laughs> okay. um, but that ended up like most things nowadays uh, that get political it, we you know we you get that one victory and all the people that cared about making change left like just immediately they get the one victory think it's a statement that's gonna like somehow keep it keep the ball rolling and... yeah but what happened was that a bunch of uh reactionaries alt-right reactionaries fucking vloggers and video makers whatever bullshit you want to what, however you want to style yourself, mm -hmm. reactionaries is just the best with the people who react to shit. That's how they make their money. They're grifters. They saw there was still a lot of pent-up animosity, and so they decided to direct it towards what is a very easy target. Uh, and they use what is quite literally fascistic language in order to say, hey, the issue isn't with uh, these companies that have really fucked up business practices and are doing really fucked up things as a business. The problem is these social justice warriors and these individual people mm -hmm. you know you we, we got to go after them because it's them and their ideas that will destroy us and it's, it was this really fucked up um ratcheting up of the language that you know they're, they're going to destroy the games industry they're going to blah blah whatever they ended up changing it from what it had started out to be which was hey games journalists aren't actual journalists <laughs> and that should probably change uh to hey fuck the lefties let's own the libs mm -hmm. 
Are you there? And then, yep, okay. I'm still here. Can you hear me? I heard a click, so I was like, did he just mute himself and he's going on his rant right now? And then it, oh, no, no, not. no. So you're fine. You're fine. No yeah, the rant, the rant is, is mostly over. I'm mad, I'm mad that it happened because it ruined my favorite website because now it's full of fucking chuds and we can't get rid of them. <laughs> but, but, you know, whatever. That's fine. Mm. Do you want to re- reveal what that web- website, fav- favorite website was? or, or I, is... I think those that know know what I'm talking about. Okay, those yeah. Those that don't, it's fine. Don't I have, I have a good. It. I have a good. Go- I have a good guess. I have a good guess. Okay. Uh, okay. All righty. So that's interesting. I need to actually get a proper. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where. Where were you going with the Gamergate stuff? Because I. I was... I'd heard. I'd heard names mentioned like Christina Hoff Summers and stuff like that around Gamergate, or at least she mentioned it, um, in a podcast that I was like listening to, but I had yet to hear a proper narrative of what broke down because it sounded like. Um, some cancel culture stuff or like leftists were like getting into the gaming community trying to assert um, their own narrative and then I call it the power of autism basically because a lot of gamers <laughs> that's, are it's pretty, it's pretty accurate <laughs> well the, it's, it's one of those where like they try to the leftist um, cancel culture narrative tries to come into the gaming community and claim you know whatever narrative that they want and then the autistic kids are just like no that's bullshit like yeah, that, that, and, I mean, and they're very a... and they're very factually based and they just like you know they don't apologize like idiot republicans do when they don't do anything wrong and yada there they don't apologize they stick to their facts and their guns and they basically walk away untouched from what the crazy cancel culture was trying to do yeah see that that's a very charitable <laughs> version of the events yeah. um we, the ga- uh, the gamer gators whatever the, the people doing it were the cancel culture Mm-hmm. They they were the cancelers. No one else is getting canceled before that happened. And they were like, "Hey, this journalist did fucked up shit. I want them gone, etc." Mm-hmm. You basically look at that in the Gamergate. It basically split up into you have the left side that is now what would probably be called the cancel culture side mm-hmm. um, that we, you would probably lump me into. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, obviously, it's not cancel culture. I, I, we I, I got to go into cancel culture itself separately. But I'm gonna do that after I finish talking about this. Okay. Um, but the 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 alt right side of, of Gamergate is what hijacked it and used it to try to put forth a political message. Mm-hmm. It was basically entirely apolitical until we started getting a lot of uh, larger like talking heads and bigger fig- figures and shit in the community, like uh, John Tron and Mr. Medicare and all that shit. When those people started talking about it, that's when they started shift shift the discourse and it started shifting away from hey, this person literally. It seems obviously I'm not going to talk about whether or not that actually happened because I it was a long the accusation was thrown know. out. But the and... accusation was, hey, this journalist had sex with someone and gave them better reviews because of it, and that's what it started with. That yeah. is fucked up, and I think that's something that everyone can agree with. And started getting shifted towards actually these games journalists are SJWs and we don't like that, and they're trying to censor us. Where in reality that was not really what was happening at all. Now I will say, um, I, I personally am a leftist, um, and I, I will say this right now: woke scolds kill the left and they're going to kill the left if we don't stop (laughs) okay that's a new woke scold for you woke scold a woke scold is somebody who uh scolds others for not being as woke as they are yeah okay that that made sense once i heard how it was pronounced like yeah because there's a lot of need to be woke shit right now and right now it's so the way i look at it like it's good to to be correct about things and if you're you know if someone's being vehemently wrong you know whatever that's fine but the problem is that so many people are so quick to jump on even people on the left for being slightly less woke than they're supposed to yeah like well, um there there's a there's a bunch of people who um 
like like terminology a, a prominent leftist youtuber recently made a video where they were apologized for using the term lunacy and i understand that historically speaking the term lunacy was used as a derogatory derogatory term for not mentally um how was the word for someone who has a mental illness yeah yeah it had a technical whatever, term and whatever. then it got turned derogatory yeah, like retard yeah yeah we, we we use it derogatory and he apologized for using lunacy to describe like a conspiracy theory Mm-hmm. But it's a conspiracy. Like that, yeah. that is like the one time when it's actually fair to say, yeah, yes, well, that's where this is actual insanity. Well, that's where you get into this area where being politically correct ends up binding a lot of people so that they can't think because they can't speak. And then they have to yeah. apologizing for well, everything. I don't even, uh, that's the thing. I don't even necessarily agree with that specifically because there mm-hmm. definitely are certain things that you shouldn't say. Well, I think that's a, anyone, that can be, a, that can be com- a setting conversation too. Oh, yeah, but the big thing is, like, if you ask anyone, like, what words they're not allowed to say, they'll be very hesitant to use those words because there's good reasons why we don't use those words. Yeah. Like, we don't we don't just throw around the N-word because you shouldn't, Yeah. Like, period. It's not – and someone getting mad at you – that's the thing. A lot of people who are, like, oh, against PC culture, they're not against PC culture. They're against consequences for their language. Mm-hmm. You can say whatever the fuck you want. I, I could say anything right now. And mm-hmm. go off on a five-minute spring of saying nothing but the N-word. <laughs> but there are do, consequences do, for there being. There will be consequences for doing it. Yeah. Well, if you want to say, if you want to act like an asshole, people will treat you like an asshole. It's mm-hmm. not a. That's why, like, like so many people get like upset about the cancel culture. And there was like recently that open letter signed by like J.K. Rowling mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other people, like, oh, your cancel cultures were afraid to say things because there might be consequences and blah blah. And it's like that's how it should be. There well, should I be think there's a difference between. The I think there's a difference between uh, consequences for saying things, but then there's a different. But then there's this weird thing where these public figures put out opinions, and then and because they tie value or there's a there's a ridiculous amount of value tied to these social medias and how much access people have to these uh people that the level of consequence perhaps is more is isn't actually is in fact more than any person should ever fucking deal with because you can have a million people attack you um through these social media channels so while consequences we we can agree on consequences for what you say but there's a point where the consequences are so ridiculous that see, that's that's the, where that's where and that, that's why it circles back around to the woke scold thing yeah. that's what the difference is between people like myself and people who are woke. well that's where like and i wouldn't <laughs> have even known these existed or you existed but it's where you almost sound like a a, a reasonable leftist which is really depending on that's who you think that's that's the thing yeah most people on actually surprisingly both sides are actually reasonable yeah. It's just that reasonable people are boring. <laughs> so well, reasonable they, people, they tend not to be the ones who end up getting millions of Well, I of might views be outing you here because I might be misreading you here, but that's where I think a lot of the crazy shit that happens online with all the yelling and screamers comes from the extremists, and that's where the extreme sides mm-hmm. of any spectrum. And that's where at this point, and at this point, I don't think social media serves any good purpose when it comes to discourse. I, I find Twitter... Like I've I've walked away from Facebook effectively. Like it's barely there. Um, I have my October annual, and that event doesn't ever do anything in terms of what it does on Facebook for my event. Um, Twitter, I only find fun with that or good interaction with that. Maybe getting like information on what's going on from news sources or whatnot. But my biggest joy out of it comes from the weekends when I'm watching League of Legends um, esports scene, um, and. And then after that, like, 
I just don't I, I don't think the social medias are actually good. There's there's plenty of stuff coming out of people like Jonathan Haidt who show that Instagram and stuff like that and Snapchat these these social medias are having grave incredible negative impacts on our youth, on our teenagers. Um in terms of like suicide attempts and rates and depression going up massively for young for young women and who knows how much porn addiction for young men. So like at this point, I for at least the social media conversation, I think it needs to go the fuck out. Back to the point where I think both sides are quite reasonable, but unfortunately all you ever are gonna see or hear out of at least the the normal people bodies out of like either mob on these social medias that are attacking either side. It's just these fucking degens from up country from both sides of the fucking aisle that have this time yeah. and dedication to be this ridiculous and be online all the fucking time. And yeah. I that... will I will say there is still statistical delineation between left and right in terms of uh, voters on the left tend to be more informed voters than voters on the right. But that's more so just because like currently the right is has been taken hold of by uh, um, the the Trump camp, which is very much very populistic, very uh, low information good, high information bad. It, but that's that's like a recent thing. That's not like a like generally speaking, Republican voters tend to be lower uh, education wise than left leaning uh, left leaning voters. Mm -hmm. But that's not that's not a like oh people on the right are stupid because a lot of people on the right are also very very wealthy and very intelligent. Yeah, um, well that's the, the where the problem is that those people. The people who are very, very wealthy, generally speaking, want to control the stupidest people possible. And that's that's where you end up getting that. Well, I think either I think leadership on either side of a political situation would be wanting to control the stupid people on their side. Yes. No, no, 100 percent. I'm just saying yeah. that it's it's you because of the the fact that both sides try to do that. And then the one side also happens to be um more in line with the beliefs of more educated people just in general that's where you get that delineation so mm -hmm. both sides are doing it but one side is taking away the people who are not that if that mm -hmm. makes any sense but yeah so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's there's it's, very specific policies that you can support or not support and your likelihood to support them tends to track with your level of education and mm -hmm. those are what makes the difference and that's what makes it look like more people on the left or the right are not or are as smart as whatever so if you ask me, fuck the left and the right, fuck both of them, not enlightened centrism on policies, obviously, because policies are either correct or not correct, but the two-party systems are fucked and we shouldn't have one. Well, that's where we actually initially started discussing this because of a Facebook post I put up um, mm -hmm. regarding um, Brett Weinstein's Unity 2020, and you jumped into the, we need to have a redoing of our voting system to head towards something that was, uh, I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, there, there's a there's a lot of different names for it. The the name I choose to use is ranked choice voting, mm -hmm. um, because there there are multiple different names for it. Because based off of like how the election like winning is handled. Yeah. So if you have like a parliamentary system where you have multiple people that get the elect that like win the election, uh, you they usually call it like a single transferable vote or stuff like that because it functions a little bit differently. But they're essentially the same thing, wherein you have as many people as want to run run. And mm -hmm. you vote for as many people as you want to vote for. Yeah. And you vote for them in order. And if your first choice can't win, they're eliminated and their votes are redistributed to their that person's second choice. Yeah. On the, on the line. And so you get someone who wins who actually has a majority of the vote behind them. Mm -hmm. so, so I don't know. That, that's just like a, a brief overview of what it is. Yeah. I know you have my, questions. Mike, I'm very curious because I... 
I like having I I like people like uh I like having facts to back up the things. So I like uh where Thomas Sowell looks at uh world world level uh, examples of policy for uh, certain things. So my so in terms of the voting thing, I'm curious has this been successfully implemented anywhere, and what's a good metric with which to, I guess, um, measure the success of such a policy or such so a voting of, system in terms of where it's been implemented that's the that's the hardest part so first past the post polling uh creates a two-party system necessarily, yeah, yeah based just based on literally on the way it works if you want me to go into how on that i can i have a lot of information on it but it's a winner take all have, it's a winner take yeah. all and the long con is that eventually in the animal kingdom example provided by um what's his face that you gave me um cpg gray cpg gray videos he does he does very good basic videos um for explaining concepts and where they would reasonably go in terms of their systems and there's and real life seems to be imitating it so i can't exactly um, argue against them, but if you're going to have a multi-party situation, eventually, as the as the smaller parties, so to speak, keep losing, keep losing, or they consolidate into the other parties, you eventually end up with a two-party system because it's a winner-take-all situation. Yes, um, and voters don't vote in a vacuum. Each voter knows how other voters are going to vote. Yeah. They know going in, my candidate can't win. Yeah. As such, they then change their vote to get to the candidate that will make their lives as better as possible. Yeah. Even though they can't have their trade-offs, basically. Yeah. Yeah. A, tr a trade-off situation. So in terms of places that do use ranked choice voting, uh, I believe Australia still does. Mm -hmm. um, but they're like the only like full nation that like the whole mm -hmm. nation uses it for like their high profile elections. There are a large number of places in the United States that use it. Um, and like if you Google, I'm going to see if I can find it, but like I Googled it earlier, like rankedchoicevoting.org, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm Where it literally now. lists like all the different countries that currently have it or did have it, where they used it, how they used it. Yeah, right like now it has it in um, several states actually too. It's, yeah, it's, it's, there are several like individual states and cities in the United States that use mm -hmm. it. Um, but the, it, it's uh, the, the, the argument most people have against it is the oh well we've never tried it before in a state as large as the united states how will we know if it works or not mm -hmm. and to them i say it's very easy <laughs> you you just look at how it's going to work and you can tell it's going to be better well um, you're right gotta, you're, you're you gotta, believing like i would sooner have the run the fucking experiment because i i believe that theory okay, no, 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 i believe no, theorizing no, we can agree that theorizing an idea doesn't mean the idea is going to fucking work there's plenty of policies yeah. out there that have intentions design support and then they fall flat on their ass yes so but the, the thing is we can we because we've run ranked choice voting for so long we know the problems inherent with it yeah right? so is the trade-off to an alternative what do, what do we want out of yeah. our voting system right? yeah and the answer to that question is, generally speaking, every citizen wants to be represented, and we want our vote to matter. Yeah. Like, those are, and like, is there anything else, like, that you can think of that you think a voting system needs to have? Because to me, those are the two important things. I, I as a voter, I feel represented, and I feel like my vote matters. Mm -hmm. In a ranked choice voting system, you have that. Because no matter who you personally prefer, whether, like, let's say I want Vermin Supreme for President 2020, right? Yeah. Obviously, right now, voting for Bourbon Supreme is literally throwing my vote in the trash because it's not possible for him to win. He's too much of a niche candidate. He can't get the support necessary because we live in a first-past-the-post voting system and everyone else knows that he doesn't have enough support to win. Well, not he actually has the support. He full well might have the support, but we've convinced ourselves that he doesn't through the 
propaganda that we just have yeah with our media our media, our media and our and own and, and i i need to say that it's not propaganda like it's targeted like the me i don't think the media gives a shit about vermin supreme <laughs> but because the media exists as a thing yeah we have those household names for a reason yeah this is actually where my curiosity in a historical context is um because i have yet to do a proper any reading of the federalist papers but um the forefathers spent of America spent a lot of time creating the electoral college. And my curiosity is, was there even the idea of, um, of ranked choice voting, so to speak back there in the 1770s, um, because they end up doing the first past the post voting system, but they implement the electoral college to prevent the mob rule idea of a pure democracy. Well, there, there is another reason why the electoral college was created. And it's one that a lot of people forget about, but mm-hmm. I believe it is also the more important one. So back when our country started, and even for like 100, 200 years afterwards, cars didn't exist, right? Yeah. If you And we didn't have the internet. If you were going to cast your vote, you would need to literally physically go to the place to cast your vote. Yeah. And then the votes needed to be given to um, the country in D.C. for those votes to all be counted for the whole country to be counted. Yeah. So you had to have somebody walk the votes from your city or state to the Capitol. Yeah. And that's what that's why where the electoral electoral college comes from and specifically the faithless elector like a clause because the idea was it's going to take weeks or months to get those votes literally transported from the place where the vote was cast to mm-hmm. the capital so a faithless elector as they're br- they're just the person bringing the votes from the state or the city district whatever um they if like between the time it takes them to leave their city and get to the capital it turns out ooh, the candidate they were going to vote for committed mass murder Okay, cool. You, you you can change your mind now because we understand it's going to take two weeks for you to get here. And a lot of stuff can happen in two weeks. Yeah. We now live in a society where that is not a problem. The, the, those are the kinds of problems that the Electoral College system was looking to solve. But, you know, one, the literal distance issue and two, um, the mob rule issue, which is, a, is an issue. Um, uh, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but like rule through majority. Yes. where it's the wrong decision, but it was the majority, therefore it gets through. But that is a legitimate issue to be concerned about. And that's what the Electoral College system was trying to cover. But we no longer need the proviso for faithless electors. We no longer need that that gimme for the time to literally deliver the votes, because the votes can be delivered in an hour, like literally just electronically. Yeah, yeah the logistical aspect isn't there. So when, we, when you look at it, and you're looking at what you want out of a voting system, and you compare what we have currently to a ranked choice voting system, it would function very similarly, but you would always be able to have the faith that whoever you want the most, you can still vote for as your first choice. Yeah. You don't have to worry about, because like, let's say going into this, this election, I do not like Trump. I also do not like Biden. They are both pieces of shit. However, I can admit to myself that I would prefer to have one of them over the other. Yeah. Right. But I really want Bernie fucking Sanders. Right. Yeah. So in a ranked choice voting system, even, uh, you know, I mean, we we, we, the, we can't necessarily stop primaries because they're they're not actually government sanctioned things. The yeah. RNC and the DNC are private corporations and they do that on their own. Yeah, time. but they're um, they may get rid of a Republican that, or a Democrat that you would prefer. But yeah, um, but that but that person, if it was uh, ranked choice, that person can run anyway. Yeah, they and could run they as an independent being... or as a Republican. It would, it's it's possible that the ranked choice voting would actually just remove the primaries. Yeah, there, just... there would be much less of a reason to have them. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I do think that they would still happen because the 
the RNC and the DNC specifically still want to put forth their best candidate. Yeah. Because they still have a vested interest in winning as a as a group. Yeah. But um, it, it wouldn't matter. You couldn't like if Bernie wanted to run, he could just run. It'd be oh, yeah. fine. And all the people that want to vote for him can vote for him and then put their number two as Biden if they prefer Biden. Yeah. And then they don't have to worry about the fact that they voted for the third party candidate if, if he doesn't have enough votes to win, that they just wasted all their votes and the guy they could have beaten otherwise won instead. Yeah. Because that's, that's the issue is that it's not necessarily because if you just want to look at it from a systemic point of view, like, yeah, they both function similarly. But once mm -hmm. you get into the meta of it and the fact that the people who are casting their votes aren't casting their votes in a vacuum and they know how other people are planning on casting their votes, that's the problem. That's where it changes it. Once you introduce that human element, we need to have something there that says, okay, we understand what you want to do. Here's a system that allows you to accomplish that while still having a similar outcome to the previous system. Yeah. And, we, and we may even, because of how far gone the United States is, that even ranked choice voting might not end up fixing it. Because we might have so many people that are so stuck in there, it's my team versus their team ways that they just don't even actually use it. And they just vote for the one person that their team told them to vote for. But I feel like because there's so many independents in this country and there are so many actually like interested voters that do actually have good information, I feel like what that would do it was it, it would destroy the Democratic and the Republican parties almost entirely. And we would never have another Democrat or Republican win because everyone would be coming out of the woodwork in the independent sector. Yeah. Well, I think right now that the Republican Party is a ghost because Trump's in charge and he's not a Republican, yeah. which is its own fucking joke. Um, and then the Democratic Party is about to split itself in half between yeah. a lot of Democrats that feel disenfranchised by the what the, the leftist side versus the moderate Democratic side. And it ends up well, with... I'm I, I the way I like to uh, phrase it is you've got the um, neoliberals and the um, I well just liberals you've got liberals and leftists liberals mm -hmm. are that um, are the like democratic establishment camp kind of people yeah. and leftists are the people who they don't care about necessarily liberal ideology and the specific individuals they just care about getting the policies passed that will help them. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why that's where you've got that breakup because the people well, that, that's, the people that's, who that's are the liberals AOC. aren't necessarily wrong yeah that's the difference right? between like aoc and pelosi basically yes yeah more or less i would say more so aoc and cory booker because i don't even think most of the people have been a democratic establishment actually like nancy pelosi no she's a fucking like she's an idiot don't get me wrong like yes queen slay whatever like you have you feel free to have your memes but like pelosi's basically republican like <laughs> like in terms of what she actually votes for she's more or less just a republican mm -hmm. that wears blue um but that's but that's so much of the problem though is that like there really is no difference between the parties in terms of their establishment because all they care about is winning as yeah. long as they win they make money that's it that's all they care about they're they're, they're literally just corporations mm -hmm. and that's that's what the problem is we need to get the power away from corporations and groups of individuals and bring it back to actual individuals. yeah that's where i think the only the only thing i easily bring up to anyone from the crazies to the to the moderate regular humans is like you know if you actually just got rid of the lobbying and the corporate money involved then all this i i swear that's like the single drop in the bucket that just makes everything else just just tidal wave oh, yeah. over oh yeah 100 because it's it's it like so it's just so many of our politicians are just bought and sold like yeah. not even like not, not like it's not even funny well, like, we're the you only can look at the fucking um at the, the democratic primary 
Buttigieg, like before, like the, he started getting money from supporters because he did well in a couple of states. He was for basically everything that Sanders was for. It was like, yep, $15 minimum wage, 100%. Yep, mm -hmm. single-payer healthcare system, 100%. And then he had his little wine cave meeting, and all of a sudden, oh, you know what? We actually can't do those things because I've received a large amount of money from people that don't want me to say those things. Mm -hmm. That's literally just how it happens. It happens on the Republican side, too. It's just that the Republicans um, care less about... Because Republican voters more so vote, generally speaking, again, obviously I'm not talking about specifics, but they generally vote based off of my team. Mm -hmm. they'll vote for the republican regardless for the most part because like i know people who personally fucking despised trump in 2016 but voted for him anyway because you know a, rep a bad republican is better than a good democrat to them um oh yeah so no, like, i i know i know republicans that are just like yeah i have no one to vote for this year i have no one yeah. to vote for yeah oh yeah i don't oh, like yeah, any of my options and, and I, I would not blame them i feel the same way i i have no one to vote for i'm going to be voting for biden because i don't think we can survive another four years with trump in, the, in office especially without the pandemic having already gone away I, I can't imagine another full year of having the pandemic with him in office mm. like and that like and we, we i really don't want to get into like specific um talking about specific politicians or policies but like the man literally committed a war crime <laughs> like he went on national tv and said that he's specifically slowing down testing to make our numbers look better that's a war crime that 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 like that could fuck the entire country yeah <laughs> like we could com be completely screwed <laughs> like but no he just does it anyway just fuck it fuck it got mine you know yeah yeah rank rank choice is a way to go um sounds like it's rank know. choice and get corporate money out of politics and then it's like then the country gets to actually like speak for itself yeah or just get the money out of politics, period. Because yeah. I do feel like ranked choice matters significantly less when everyone's on the same foot. Yeah. But because cause that's, that's the thing, a lot of people don't look at it this way, but you really need to. In this country, yeah, it's supposed to be one person, one vote. It's not really how it works. Because let's say, you know, the government gov governor of Florida or no, not governor, I'm going to look for like Senator Florida, whatever, is going up there and he's casting his vote for a policy. Right. Yeah. And every single person back in Florida, except one, wants that policy to go through. But that one person spends $10 billion to get that one vote from that senator to go the way he wants it to. Suddenly, that one person has every single vote in Florida, and yes. everyone else has no votes. Yeah. That's what the issue is. Yeah. Lobbying's fucked. I, I honestly, I feel well, like... We're the, only, be... we're the only, like, developed, quote-unquote, at this point. Um, we're the only developed, um, enlightened country, Demo Democratic Republic or whatnot, that even has lobbying in it in this day and age. Um, I mean, no, there are, there are some others that have, like, different kinds of lobbying, but lobbying as it is in the United States is pretty much just the United States. Yeah. But, um, it, the, the, like, the idea of lobbying is still a thing in, in other, a lot of other countries, but that it's less... In, in America, it's five mega corporations who control, like, the gun manufacturing lobby. Mm -hmm. It's five corporations, or I don't know how many, I'm, I'm not, I'm just pulling numbers on my ass, I'm not saying literally, don't yeah, quote, yeah. quote me on that, yeah, yeah. but you have five or whatever corporations in a specific industry, they pool their money together, and they all lobby for the same thing, because it's good for that company, because it's good for that company doesn't mean it's good for the people, it could be yes. really bad for the people, it could be terrible for the country, yes. but that, those five corporations have, between them, more money than the majority of the people who live in the United States, and because of that, they're able to have that much more power. Whereas we look at it in like most other countries, they'll have like lobbies for like women's health, right? And like yeah. that—that's not—that's not like ten companies pooling together money. That's like a bunch of moms who like uh, care about something and like put together like their own money and like donation funds and shit like that. Mm. 
you just don't have that that massive industrial complex money behind the voting because most other countries don't don't um have the um god what was that act really citizens united i think it was okay the one that protected um donations to um politicians as protected speech sounds like a good idea in practice it means that you can give however much money you want from your company to a politician and even though people is it is it people or cpacs or whatnot have like i remember this back in like 2009 like u.s government uh class but Mm -hmm. like there were only there are certain cpacs or certain um not polit not like political i guess is the nature of them they have their limits but then there have been the bigger cpacs that allow for another level of donation to go yep. out just trying to find these other ways in to donate more money to yep. buy the buy the candidate buy the politician even more and yep. then companies and the, the problem is is that like the um, like it sounds like a good idea like oh protect you, you know you spending money yeah but your free speech against the candidate or whatnot is your vote yeah exactly and that's the thing so you look at someone like jeff bezos who's got billions trillions of dollars right yeah jeff bezos can donate as jeff bezos and that's protected, and he can donate up to his maximum. Then he can donate as Amazon, yep, because they're they're now a separate entity, and that that speech is protected. And then he can donate to a super PAC that also donates to those people, uh, that that specifically goes for the things he wants. And then he can hire lobbyists who themselves donate money directly to these individuals. That's that's where the problem is: is that where corporations are essentially uh, the best way I think to look at them is like computers. They're not actually living organisms. They're, they're computers made up of a series of living organisms that make individual decisions. But when you own a corporation, you own all those individuals in that yeah. company. So to speak, essentially, so, so to, speak. to speak. Yeah. So I can pay you, my employee, $20,000. Hey, you want a nice $20,000 bonus? Go give this $50,000 to that, that candidate over there and tell him it's from me. That is completely legal. I mean, maybe the numbers might not be. You're going to have to have a look at that. Well, yeah, you're running a you're well, running a hypothetical of what is likely a real situation. Yeah. So, like, I, I can however many employees I have in my company. That's how many times I get to donate. That's how many votes I actually have. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. And that's that's it's just such a huge issue because you can even look at it from like um, someone did a study. I don't, I'd have to look it up, but like there's the um, public perception of like what policies should and should not pass for like the past 50 years, the votes passed by like both sides of the aisle go completely against what people actually want in every, like every single case. Mm-hmm. They only ever go for what like the wealthy want. Was the there a, was there a landmark votes. moment or a landmark, a- landmark act that basically said the moment, like within 10 years of this act or five years, probably of this act coming to, um, coming to com- becoming alive, basically, do we see an immediate trend of things happening counter to like the people's will um, um we don't see necessarily a change in that i don't believe citizens united is that landmark case that we're talking about yeah uh, because that's the one that guaranteed these things as a constitutional right for businesses yeah and then um, but and we then, still had that issue previously it's just that now it's not legal for us to so it exacerbated it more it. yeah it, it basically was the 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 last nail in the coffin yeah essentially yeah because before citizens united we could have passed laws that forbid this or you know curtail it but now it's protected speech and there's nothing you can do yeah um what we would need is for citizens united to be repealed and then we would be able to start the passing actual start, laws start the peeling process basically peeling yeah. the onion yeah yeah but yeah because like that that citizens united basically is like that that outer layer like until you get through that you ain't doing anything you yeah yeah, I was looking for like a Glass Steagall equivalent. It's like market stable. Glass Steagall goes away. Ah, oh, shit. 
All right, all right. Okay. Well, this is this has actually been a little bit more fun than I was expecting. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I was I was afraid that I was going to be super boring because because we. I wasn't we worried about you being boring. I was. You were like, hey, let's talk about like voting and, and stuff like that. I'm like, unfortunately made hey. very stressed out by all the stuff that I see on Twitter. So at this point, like for me, this conversation is much more like bringing me back down to how real people are, because you see the extremes <laughs> so damn much on the internet. And, you know, exacerbated by people's, you know, entertainment news shows. But it's like, okay, let me talk to someone. I'm going to bet. Like, I would have bet before we even got on. I was like, pretty sure I know where Brian is. I'm not sure if he's going to self-identify as a leftist. And then you're like, you are. I'm like... Okay, cool. And we're still rolling along yeah. and we're having That's a good conversation. That's the thing. I, I, really, I really hate self-identifying myself ever because I don't – like when I say I'm a leftist, a lot of people take that to mean like, oh, there are some certain views that I hold that I refuse to balk on. Well, yeah. Well, it's, not, it's, it's, it's where you end up categorizing yourself. Off of, yeah. It's where yeah. you end up categorizing. I, so I say it more so for how people would categorize me. Yeah. You would look at me and you would see the things I believe and what I think is right and wrong and you would say, okay, so you're a leftist, yeah. generally speaking. Yeah. Um, personally, I just look at it as I, I, I go on, you know, issue by issue, which one do I think is right? And that's where I go. Um, back in back in high school, I used to say that I'm uh, I, uh, that I wasn't a I wasn't a leftist. I wasn't on the right. I wasn't on the left. I was just being real. <laughs> yeah, because it's like I, I don't I don't care about the teams. The teams are the problem. Fuck the teams. If, and I'm saying this to everyone right now. If you plan to vote Democrat or you plan to vote Republican just because you are a Democrat or a Republican, you are the problem. Yeah. Find the policies. Find the things you want them to do and vote based on that. Period. Yeah. End of the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the we we especially in the United States. I, I feel like you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. It's really an entitlement problem. That's the issue. Well, it's funny because so so like so and I think now we we got time. Um, I think there's actually a very unfortunate thing where a lot of Americans feel very entitled and it's not the millennial generation like. No, not at all. It's the it's actually I think there was someone and I have yet to like give it good credence or whatnot. But I think it was a generation of sociopaths where this guy basically run that the um, the boomer generation and the generation maybe right after that are actually a bunch of sociopaths or are effectively sociopaths, so to speak. And they're actually the ones that are the most uh, entitled because of they went through an age where everything had such a rapid development in technology and ease of life that they just started expecting it. And our generation is the first one to reach like the peak of that in the 90s and then shit crashes in 08. Yeah. And now we're just like, now we have these linguistics or I, I, I forget what entomo- entomological, I don't know. We have these linguistic differences in how we even do customer service. I, I imagine you oh, know which oh, tumbl- yeah, the Tumblr post that I'm talking about where um, the older generation would say um, my pleasure or you're welcome or something like that when providing service. And now millennials or whatnot and likely Zoomers at this point would say no problem. And it's because it's a very different perception that I think goes into even a uh, cultural socio- social situation where before the providing of service was seen as that person didn't have to do that. But now because of how customer service is and how dignity has gone out the door for people and, and companies are choosing to hire cowards and leaders and leadership isn't actually encouraged. So now it is very much understood that in a customer service environment, I have to do whatever you want to say. So when I say no problem, 
It is much more me saying, I actually like you and I'm okay doing this. It was not actually a burden to me, even though it is. Yeah. Yeah. We, we look at being kind as expected. You're expected to be kind. That's the basic, like the, the customers, the basic level customer service most people get is expected in, we view in all of our interactions. Yeah. For the boomer generation, they view it as like, it's, it's expected of you because it's your job. You're required. To well, that's what they put on you know? us before. Like that kind of yeah, customer service what, yeah, wasn't. It wasn't an expectation. So it's like my pleasure is like I'm very happy to actually help you because it had a much more giving situation. There's a scarcity mindset that I think is like its own, you know, PTSD so to speak from the '08 and how that affected a lot of people, and also how like basic human dignity in these companies has gone out the door because truth just dies. Like truth is not of concern and, and people won't stand up to the Karen bullies um, in any, in any form. And it's actually quite funny because even like specifically talking about it, like from a business perspective, um, I I think that I said it to you before that my degree is in business. I I might not have, I don't know, but my degree is in business. And one of the things they teach us pretty early on is the like, no, the customer is not always right. <laughs> um, yeah. That, that, that phrase came from um, somebody like the more like expanded version of that phrase mm-hmm. is that the customer is always right that there is a problem, but the customer is almost never right on how to fix the problem. Yeah, I actually like it, that. It's it's a, it reminds me of um, another phrase. Um, what is it? Um, um, it's like blood's it's like um, blood's thicker than water or something like that. Um blood of the covenant or something like that 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 phrase yeah, the blood of the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the body i think something like that yeah family or family or something like that yeah that yeah. that that turn of phrase um i believe it's a catholic phrase is the reason yeah. why it's coming to mind for me but i think it's blood supposed to say that the, the blood of the covenant between you and jesus christ is more powerful than the water quote unquote uh, that is in your veins to your family yeah blood is thicker than water um could be wrong though that, that could be. <laughs> I could have just got that from my grandparents. That's not actually true. Mm, yeah, I'm trying to get actually just the full phrase, but Wiki, Wikipedia is not helping me. Um, but yeah, so I I, I really oh, it's, the, it's the the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Is what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a Bible quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Telling me. I, I you know I've read the entire Bible at least like once or twice in my entire childhood. Um, before I turned eighteen, basically, I'm pretty sure. And I can't say that I remember that verse. Oh, yeah, fuck if I know. <laughs> it might be in, like, a specific, like, version of the Bible where, like, someone put that in, but it was a real flowery version of what was actually said. For it's all a, I know. I have no idea. That's not... It's just... A, it's, a, it's a quote I've heard it's you... It's a proverb specifically around my by the German poet, believed to it originate from a medieval German poet, Heinrich der Glitschenzeier, and I don't know how to pronounce that. That's a fantastic um, last name. <laughs> Well, I, I, that's where I think there's things that are like they are shortened in quote and the customer service is the best example because in my mind when I'm sitting there thinking back to our retail days, I'm like if you actually had managers that shut down abusive uh, customers, it would become very clear to your employees that you back them and you support them because um, oh, yeah. there's variant there's variant problem solving to where you just let them get it out and get rid of them or you just get rid of them forever. It's like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not dealing with a disrespectful environment where my people are miserable. Um, yeah. Because that's what that's, was so great. Like I was saying, that, that's, that's something that like, is taught in business school nowadays, is that like, you should not actually like, just give customers anything they ask for. Like, yeah. you, you need to put your foot down. The, the, 
when you have a customer who's ruining the environment for your other customers, it is literally a more profitable decision to tell that customer to go fuck themselves and deal with that fallout. Yeah. In order to make an actually in you know inviting environment both for your employees and for your other actual customers. Yeah. Well, I this is where I think there's a lot of old knowledge from like that I just think got thrown out with these overemphasis on certain concepts, principles, whatever from where, wh whether it's from university business school or whatnot, there's a lot of principles that got overinflated and they just created these very toxic work environments and relationship dynamics that aren't actually helpful, profitable or anything. Um, I, I, I view it. I, I feel like a lot of it comes from the separation between the worker and management that we have such a large gap between those who are making the decisions and those who have to act on those decisions mm -hmm. that they see those complaints as actual complaints when they're not actual complaints. Well, that's right? where that's, I think I feel that as a management versus leadership difference, I feel that management just sees the problem and wants the quick fix. Well, leadership will actually like play a proper investigation and trust their employees be like to problem solve their way through it or, you know, reckon with the part where it's like, this is something that is outside my ability, or this is an unwinnable situation because the customer is making it unwinnable. Yeah. And, that, and that's honestly that um, there's something I really, I really want to go back to school and end up getting like a doctorate in like macroeconomics or whatever, mm -hmm. because I, I believe there, that. Um, so having worked for Publix for however long, I actually believe that the the um, founding principles of that company is very close to what is actually like the correct way to run a business. Oh yeah, and like, well, like yeah, when they like were like an invincible business. Yeah, they when... they fucked up a little bit because they went too far towards um, debt. The huh? No, the okay. um, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, customers always right. Kind of, but no, it, it's they they changed too much to be what what is the establishment like? What is the established? This is how a business runs, mm -hmm. which included that and the customers always right, all that kind of stuff. They they change, you know, back in the day though, like the actual things that Mr. George or whatever put forth. I think those are. Um, all That's like what I found in the orientation. Ideas. Since we're just since we're revealing like where we used to work, basically at this point. Um, uh, that's where when in the orientation i sat there watching the principles with which uh mr george founded Publix, and i was going these are because i had a general business understanding but like like an associates at that point but i was like watching all this going this all makes total sense like this See, makes i was makes i was the opposite ridiculous I sense company. i came into the company i learned all that stuff and then i went to school and the stuff they were teaching is also very close to those things that yeah. were in that original, but they, they've moved away from so much of that. Uh, I, cause the way I look at it, uh, if you ask me, I think that the, the future of businesses in this country is going to be worker co-ops. I don't feel like the traditional business model works anymore specifically because of issues of scalability. So you, you, you have a business, right? Mm -hmm. let, 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 give me, give me a product. What, what's a product someone could be selling uh, a product or a service tape tape. There is a, a finite total demand for tape in the world mm -hmm. period just and that that'll go for basically any product and most services um most products and most services obviously people are always going to have like a demand for food or whatever and that's a recursive demand that will constantly be like like you only need so much food during a day but every day you need so much food so it's a recursive demand but you could pr conceivably produce all the tape the world will ever need for the next two thousand years it's physically possible so a tape business only has a certain height that it can actually expand to. It can't mm -hmm. get bigger than that. There's there's a there's a hard and that's if you do everything perfectly, there is still a hard cap on demand. 
Yeah. And I feel like with how, how much advanced technology is and how large our companies are in this day and age, that a lot of companies have hit that point and now they're looking for other ways to cut costs because they're still in this mindset that growth is necessary to be successful as a business mm -hmm. where it isn't isn't necessary to be successful as a business to be successful as a business you just have to pay all your employees enough so that they can continue to live right you have well, to be able I to think, pay I think you your have to, overheads I think you have that's, to make some amount of money but like yeah you, you have you to have you have to have just enough profitability to make it worth it and I think that comes and that's and because I'm not going to overemphasize profit as the, like the major thing but if a company doesn't have any amount of profit then the reason for the company to exist falls apart and uh, kind of, but like uh, again, like we're talking about tape. People need tape. People still yeah, people need do tape. need tape. Yeah, it's about <laughs> it, yeah. There is the providing of the service, but if but and that comes down to can you provide the need at a profit? That's the basic reason why a one man business would even entertain the, the idea of, of meeting that need. Can you can you can you meet the need at a profit? Is mm -hmm. fine. The problem is, can you continue to meet that need at an, an ever increasing? That is no, the issue. that's that, where, that's where that doesn't work lost. out. That's that's that, that's where I think we. Because like you look at like Disney, Disney just keeps buying more media companies. They just yeah. keep buying them because they you. We've already reached the finite demand for princess movies. We have enough of them. There's there's a lot. <laughs> we, we <don't, laughs> no one's crying out there for like the eighth princess movie of the year. Yeah. So they're buying other stuff. All right. Well, now we're also going to be making the Star Wars movies, so we can take that profit and put it under our umbrella. But they haven't actually grown Disney the company. They've just taken Lucasfilm the company and stapled it on yeah. to Disney, and they're saying it's the same company and the company's grown. Yeah. So that's I, I feel like there is, and I want to do this study. I want to actually because there's like no information about this. I feel like a worker co-op system where there's still like a hierarchy, but that hierarchy is significantly flattened, mm -hmm. and increased profits for the company means increased pay for everyone. Um, is actually the way to go for businesses that are much uh, less likely to be um, affected by like market changes and that are much more stable and um, provide a healthier and more robust economy. But it's something that we, I, 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 I well, would need to do the studies on. Well, that's, I could just look at the. Okay, so this, this sounds to me, well, because the, the, the initial idea of a company is that a group of people come together for the same purpose so to speak. Like that's your, that's the initial old school definition of a company. It's changed drastically in the last several hundred years, so to speak. Um, but what you're signing out with this work co-op sounds similar to me in terms of the um, employee owned company, i.e. like sort of Publix's idea and Wawa's yes. kind of idea. And yes, that's where yes, exactly. I, I held this back then during the hiring process. I looked at their system and went, the employee owned company like that principle of how their stock is held is the backbone of this entire company and mm -hmm. it's the only reason Publix hasn't fallen apart and turned into the worst version of walmart before Publix redefined um and has redefined how walmart's going to hold itself at a higher at a higher quality um is that the backbone of the stock ownership plan held it even even though Publix has fallen apart into this fear-based fear-driven no knowledge, don't care about your knowledge, don't care about your skills, don't care about um, whether or not you're good enough for leadership. And like I, I and, and, and that's like, those are the things that would actually make them fall apart. But I think the stock ownership is like held it. And now it's affecting the rest of the retail industry in a mildly positive way. And yeah. so I, I think you're on, I think you're on the right track with the worker co-op or at least like employee owned only because. Yeah. So that, that, that's, I want to be clear too, because when I say worker co-op, that's just kind of like, 
the model that exists so we've seen do stuff that kind of works yeah, yeah. Uh, i don't necessarily know as of right yet whether or not it's going to be like you know full worker co-op 100 percent, or you know like bring it back a little bit because there are also scalability issues with worker co-ops yeah. in terms of how large well, they can get before it stops really being worse so this is this is going to go into a less economic area in terms of where your study line of study will go but simon sinek has been one of my uh mentors i've never met um i don't know if you've heard of him um no unfortunately not okay well he is um he's the guy going around uh basically bringing in the the concept of the golden circle um he's the one with um asking why or at least finding your why um which is kind of this ambiguous idea of finding your um where you would find meaning so to speak um or why or like what is like kind of a life goal of yours per se and this is a very ambiguous description of what he describes much better in his books um so what he highlights is that um, GE or whatnot um, brought in or had an accountant that brought in the idea that the shareholders became the main focus and the main priority of public companies. And that's where the entire concept of caring about the customer and your employee and your vendors went out the fucking door. And then we end up in this yep. – we, we actually end up creating this greed culture that has led into what is the worst part of America these days. Now, you and I can agree that in the – at least as it would appear – in terms of George, his founding, and the three things that he cared about, the customer, the employee, and the, his vendors, that clearly takes care of your foundational pieces. And Costco versus um, GE, if you bought both at uh, Costco's IPO, um, you'd have gotten like a decent um, return on your investment um, in GE, but you'd have gotten like a several hundred more percent in return on your investment from Costco because Costco has that gradual – increase on its stock value while GE has this roller coaster crazy effect that's been lauded as a good healthy look for a fucking stock when it's just bullshit. Yeah, more or less. So I think that if you want to try a different structure, go for it, but I think that there is a cultural thing that's now being rebuffed with Simon Sinek as one of the faces of it to where you need to be focusing on your people um and your empl- your employees and we and we're seeing the pushback as well with like not letting your uh, customers run your shit. But when you, yeah. I, I, I'd sooner have an adjustment in the in the business culture to where the shareholder is not the primary concern, unless the shareholder also is the employee. Yeah, no, and I agree with that entirely. The the, the thing I'm saying is I I don't know. There is somewhere between where we are right now and how mm-hmm. we do things and a full on worker co op where I think the happy medium lies. But yeah. it's the, those ideas behind the worker co-op are basically all like the things that led to the creation of that business setup mm-hmm. are all the same ideas that led to the creation of Publix. Yeah. And Publix, again, I'm not to talk shit or not talk shit about Publix as they are right now. I'm just talking about them as they were back in the day. Um, that specific way they chose to go about things is why they're as successful as they are. Yeah. That that worker owned that we put our employees first mentality. Yeah is the reason that they are able to compete with a company like Walmart. Well, and so. that's where Costco is kicking the hell out of the um, the Walmart equivalent Sam's Club. And that's where – because Costco still holds on to those values that Publix pur- um, purported um, in their initial fi- – and in their initial foundings. And Costco is showing you know great growth in terms of its stock value and in terms of also the, wage, the wages that it pays its uh, employees. It's well above the minimum wage expectation. Yeah. And I, but I feel like that's that's um, like I'm saying that's that's what we need to go towards, and I feel like that's what we're, we're just going to see it happen, like in the next. Oh yeah, no, this is like because it's going to be it, yeah. it, again, like I said, it's 
so so many of these companies are reaching this like potential maximum demand mm -hmm. where they cannot expand anymore that something's going to happen either one the bubble's going to burst and this company's going to come crumbling down because yeah. they're trying to juggle too many different plates well it's a tower um, of babel situation yeah oh, it's yeah. really it's a tower of babel situation like and that's where um Actually, it's Jordan Peterson that says it, but I think Simon would agree. It's like you can't go through the 08 crisis and people be saying and companies be saying we're too big to fail. Um, it's like, no, no, no. So big. You must fail. You will fail. Like you cannot yeah. get so fucking big to think like it's, it's Rome. Basically, you can't get that fucking big and expect to be able to keep it together. Yeah, like, it's, just, it's just not possible. It's not feasible. Yeah, that's where like. um it might be a, a sociocultural thing, but like there's reasons that there are traditional cultures that have lasted for thousands and thousands of years because they've kept themselves tight knit um, and very minimalist in how they sort of like live off the land, live off the, the, the fat of the land basically and have their oral traditions that have lasted for thousands and thousands of years because they don't get, they, they just never got that fucking big that they end up yeah, collapsing well, I, and speaking other languages and stuff. I feel like, I feel like that's a little bit, it's a little bit harder to draw that connection between like countries and companies just because they're i guess you can make an argument that i'm running on the I'm, it's a, a very company, macro they, i'm running they, on they're a, doing so different such i'm running things. yeah i'm running on a very macro principle but you can you can agree that there's a different culture in every inside every company uh, uh, like and these are very these are very broad strokes here these are very broad strokes here like a company versus would, like how a village there's, there's a different um there's a different uh culture amongst individuals within a company but i i do feel like most companies are large enough to the point where it's not really you can't really have a, a cohesive corporate culture anymore they try they absolutely try and and like you look at places like Publix, and they're the people who you pull the boat they're the ones who get to make that culture decision and you got to fall in line with it or you get kicked out mm. but like I, I i do also feel like that is also a negative to a company because like the um Especially like, because if we want to talk about it more, so like in terms of like countries and whatever, you look at a country like uh, Japan. Uh, Japan's very insular. Japan culturally, they're very much, you know, we're all in this together, like what we're talking about. But Japan is also falling apart right now because they're not able to actually keep their birth rate competitive because they don't have enough new people coming into Japan. Hmm. Japan has this weird situation where they need immigrants and they're looking for them. They're trying. Yeah. They're like well, they have pro like there's a whole bunch of programs to like teach English in Japan just because they're like, hey, we really need people here. And uh, this is a good skill. So, hey, please, well, they've, please they, come here. They've had this very interesting situation in a human demographic area where they can't meet their birth rate because of how I think their, their culture and their technology has gotten so far that the value in human connection and human relationships and, and family, at least like the, at a minimum, the classic nuclear family, has just fallen away. And so now they're... Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. I would I would disagree with that entirely because Japan never had a classic nuclear family. It's Japan. Their their family system was very different than our family system, and their family system is still like in large. Was it part. the uh, what's the what's the difference? Because a classic nuclear family would be like mother, father, and kids in one household. Yeah, mother, father, kids, pet, and picket fence you know, all in the same household. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Japan is very different, at least historically. It's like I, three I generations in one house. Uh, not necessarily three, like specifically, but multiple generations living under the same house. Yes. Yeah. Mo most countries over there, um, they view. Uh, even though like nowadays their religions are very different ancestor worship is still a very important thing for them so in both in china and japan like living with your relatives is completely common and having multiple generations living under the same roof yeah. up until like the past 50 years was extremely common yeah. if anything the transition towards a more nuclear family style of setup is kind of what's causing them so much issues because all they're all what we're seeing is the same 
like once a country gets to the point of development um up to a certain point of development where having children no longer is like beneficial to your survival birth rates drop off you look at countries like india or africa a lot of those really really high birth rates are because one of these kids is going to be successful and take care of the rest of us is the hope yeah you just keep having kids because because the, the the there is no other option right because you're, you're so poor and you're so old and you have so many kids that you're you're going to be stuck in your place forever unless one of your kids makes it out that's why that's why they have so many kids but then you come to a country like the united states so that's really not the case um where like yeah it's much easier if you have a large family but it's not necessary and once that is no longer like an impetus like to survive it drops down significantly and then you have like the one child or two child households that's why most first world countries actually enter like a population decline after a certain point it's just because people have less reason to have kids not necessarily because the like well the, the need for the need for the need for kids for just being able to get one that's going to survive um, in terms of the medical yeah. health revolution goes out the door and then as yeah, when you know every single one of your kids is going to survive to adulthood it, it becomes yeah well and then con- and then and then con- well then contraception family planning a certain level of income equals the ability to actually plan it out um yeah. and then that's where you end up with just people making their one two child decisions and that's kind of where that goes um yeah i'm really curious to see if you actually go phd and actually get a good thesis out for identifying like a different a a perhaps a at least identifying research or differences in uh, company structures that equal a better uh better employee environment i guess yeah i think i think it's more i think it's a more cultural thing and that's something that you can at least people with things the thing that um i remember it now i think um the thing that simon points out and I think this is where we have a really dumb situation in terms of how companies do their interview process or do their uh, talent acquisition is that they don't understand um, their core values and even what they believe as a company and like what they like really care about and believe and focus on. And so they don't go that deep or that hard into evaluating candidates to work for them. And because in Simon's, in Simon's idealistic world, as he would identify it, um, if you're if you're adopting if you if you're hiring someone you should be treating as if you're adopting them into your company, um, and so you should be taking that hiring process as seriously as you would an adoption. Um, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, and I, and I think that's fair. I mean, it's true, but um, uh, it's one of those things where I just don't. It's the issues are systemic you know what i mean mm-hmm. like like there there can be an argument made for changing the culture to the point where then we no longer believe that those systemic issues are acceptable and then we change the systemic issues but but like i i, I prefer to focus on achievable like more not i, I don't mean to say that i think i think i think you want to be the shield and i want to be the i think you want to be the shield and i want to be the hammer and we're just trying I, to attack I, this. I want to i want to identify what the problem is mm-hmm. what the best solution is and go for it I because I, I, I don't think that um the small changes like the small cultural whatever it's a I the way I like to look at it is it's I, I try to look at it the way Dr Martin Luther King looked at it when he wrote that um the letter from that the, the jail, jail. I don't Birmingham jail yeah yeah the Birmingham jail um where the the people who are the problem are not the opponents the people who are the problem are the ones who are saying well let's just wait yeah Um, the ones who are who are like oh well you know we can wait to fix it oh you know we can take the slow like if there's a problem that we can fix just fix the problem yeah (laughs) the culture to me the culture will follow 
if, if we solve the problems, the culture will follow. If mm. we make education accessible and we fix the systemic issues that keep it from chasing it, the, the, the culture will follow. Mm. If we fix getting the money out of politics and actually like have a voting system where every vote is equal, the culture will follow. It, it, but the problem is that those cultures are so much harder to change when you have those systemic issues in the way of it. I think, you know, you it's so, so difficult to fix how corrupt our politicians are when the system encourages them to be corrupt. You know I, what I mean? I feel like it's interesting. Um, I think we can close it with this last concept because uh, we got to get ready for our workout here in 30 minutes. Um, have you heard of the um, the the argument between the constrained and unconstrained? I believe it's called mindsets or viewpoints. It sounds familiar, so I might have heard of something similar, but I've not heard it described. If that I can, way. I'm going to try to look this up. If it's a, if a, I, I might butcher this. Um, I think the constrained mindset. Yeah, the constrained mindset. I believe would like Adam Smith or a Federalist paper writer would be someone that would look at it. A constrained mindset would say, let's set up. Um, rules or whatnot in society that um, punish or provide consequence to the worst natures in human beings. Um, otherwise, let them be free. In the unconstrained mindset, um, as it was sort of, as, as I kind of remember it being described, is believing that you can actually change human nature um, to create a more perfect society so to speak. I'd have to, I need to look up a better definition series, but it's, it almost sounds like you actually, and, and so an unconstrained mindset would typically be, I believe, associated with a more liberal mindset and a constrained mindset would be more, more associated with a conservative mindset, but it sounds to me, and I might be clearly misunderstanding the, the, these concepts. Um, it's very likely. Um, it almost sounds like you are a constrained mindset person who happens to be a liberal uh, in terms of where you are in the political spectrum, so to speak, or more liberal leaning, if you catch my drift. Yeah, uh, I mean, based on what you've described it, that's entirely possible. It, that's mm -hmm. not something I've ever necessarily looked at myself, um, and that's not necessarily the way I like to look at it because I don't, I don't like to look at it from a um, like, uh, oh, the problems will fix themselves sort of a deal. I think we need to go fix the problems. Mm -hmm. I just feel like the, the systemic issues are harder to fix mm -hmm. than cultural issues because mm -hmm. the culture, if you, if you People just, we are products of our environment at the end of the day, period, yeah, end of yeah. the story. Well, you, you can create a killer. You can make a murder. That's entirely possible. Yeah. Those aren't things that, generally speaking, any of us would do or would want to do, but you can give someone the environment that forces them down that well, road. Well, that's... So the way I look yeah. at it is that it's easier to, to solve the cultural issues, whatever they may or may not be, as long as we make sure the systemic issues are fixed. Yeah. I, basically, what I'm saying is I, I advocate for the path of least resistance. If there's a big rock in the road and a bunch of trees off the side of the road, it's going to be easier to get rid of that big rock in the road than cut down a bunch of trees and make your way around it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No. And that's the systemic versus the cultural. Yeah. There definitely are cultural issues, especially in this country, but they'll be so much easier to fix once the systemic issues are dealt with. Mm -hmm. Because the systemic issues help enforce and perpetuate those cultural well, issues. I think that's where there's a we there's a interplay between uh, the culture that's created by the system and the culture that tries to exist, but the system just ruins it basically, and that's where I think we're both agreeing on that quite strongly in terms of any good cultures. Because an example that I do appreciate that uh, Simon Sinek provides is with GE, where the CFO or whatnot creates that bottom ten percent gets fired, and the accounting the accounting side of that just like gets turned to shit basically, or just gets. Um, turned into this very um, 
dog eat dog hyper competitive situation where no one looks out for each other. Um, and even the guy that created it by the end of his tenure was like the accounting side of um, GE was just vicious and um, malevolent practically. And it's like, well, you created a system where you must be, you know, top 80% to survive and to keep your job. You created this hyper competitive situation that was not that is not conducive to a you know a forward-looking um, company, so to speak, of people. So I can def I can definitely get with you on finding the problem. The problem can definitely be a system in place that encourages the worst in people. Yeah, and that's an another important thing to mention to like specify is that a lot of it. Like if I'm talking about like why those are the things that I focus on or whatever, that's not to say that other things aren't also problems. It's just to explain my reasoning on why I focus on those specific problems. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's like I – because like you can have a problem where – like obviously we have a cultural issue in the United States where we are – and again, we talked about it earlier where the boomers, the zoomers, whatever, you can talk about who is and who isn't entitled. But we have an entitlement issue in this country. Yeah. Like just period. We have yeah. one. <laughs> so yeah. I, I just happen to think that it's easier obviously it's easier to tell people hey stop being entitled but it's easier to get them to actually change their behavior when the system has changed and that behavior is now disincentivized yeah like that, that the karen law or whatever they recently passed where it's like hey if you call the cops for something and it's not an actual issue the cops should be called for you're gonna get fucked <laughs> mm -hmm. i think that's perfectly fair don't waste the police's time well, i don't oh. like because like, i've got a lot of law enforcement and, and mm -hmm. we, we obviously we're, we're close to the you got to go so i don't want to get into that whole spiel well you're but reminding like, me of um no cop wants to be called to the fucking grocery store because you got in an argument over about wearing a mask no one fucking no cop wants to have to fucking deal with that so check this out um you can look him up and you can see if you like him or not but larry elder i watched one of his interviews on his um movie that he that he just produced called uncle tom um he's a black conservative who's on talk radio or whatnot the so he he brought up this example where um, it was like L.A. or whatnot, and the and the body cam started came into play, and what ended up happening, um, I wish I could actually quote the stats. Um, basically, the body cams came into play, and they were left on; they were not turned off for any of those fishy bullshit situations. And the amount of negative interactions or bullshit accusations coming from the populace from the regular from the civilian population fell off massively and yeah. his conclusion out of it that he drew um had far more to do with when people know they're going to be on camera they're not going to lie their faces off to cops because of whatever injustice or bullshit they want to spin in the situation because now it's all captured because what ends up happening as he put it, is that the cops going to show up and do his train and the training is going to go into play they're going to go by what they're trained to do, and then the civilian is basically going to have to react to either – reacts to the body cam and going, oh, I, I can't run bullshit here because it's, it's going to be able to be used against my case basically um, if I'm lying my ass off, so to speak. Yeah. So the body cam actually ends up like protecting cops, and I think I – th I, I, I'm going to guess – I wish I could find that clip. I think the violence – the violent altercations went down with cops, with like civilians interact, like physically interacting with cops, like went down or something like that. Because now the now oh, yeah. the footage is out there. I mean, those 
what is it? Eight can't wait or whatever. The eight that can't wait. Those eight specific policy changes that people wanted were pushing forward the police. Uh-huh. Every single one of those is literally mathematically proven to be better for everyone, including the police. <laughs> the only reason that, <laughs> like, like it's, it, I'm not even like it's not even like a, like you can make arguments for some of them, but like it's the the, the numbers are out there. We've had them for a while. Yeah. It's just that the um the constant problem is that we you know even our police system is set up in a in a way where there's a profit motive. They make money off of being police officers. They make money off of doing the stuff that they do. So yeah, of, of course that's gonna, you know, they're gonna want that huge budget because that huge budget is going to the people who work in that police office. Mm. So they don't want those budgets to be cut. They don't want, you know, even if that budget's way too big. So you, you end up getting a whole bunch of uh, like mixed goals mm-hmm. where like you've got the police acting against their own interest, and it's like. I don't understand it. But. Yeah. Well, I think we could dive into police unions and that argument later, but we need to get going. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for coming on to JHP. Um, I think we should do this again. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, my schedule is absolute garbage, so <laughs> I don't know when we'll be able to do it again, but I'd always be happy to. Oh, yeah, no. This has been good. This has been calming, ironically, uh, <laughs> to, have a, to have a rational conversation with someone who's got a lot of, got a lot of shit in their head. Or at least got a lot of information in their head, I'll say, instead of just uh No, banter. no, I think shit was right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Fantastic. Uh, thank you again. Uh, thank you, everyone, for watching, and uh, we'll catch you next time.